most investors, when they think of a note and mortgage, they think of being the borrower and not being the lender. So this really allows you to, as I said, step across the aisle and, and become the bank. And what I love is that being a lender and being involved in note investing, it's a great way to increase the predictability of your cash flow. And it's something that you can really scale into something big because it's not unheard of to own many, many notes, some larger lenders, some larger note funds. They own hundreds of notes and thousands of notes. And with all of the different vendors and service providers that are out there, it's very easy to do that, to scale a portfolio and manage it. That was one thing that was very appealing to me was that ability to scale. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Welcome back to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, and today we have on Fred Moskowitz. Fred is an educator, best-selling author, and has trained countless individuals on how to create passive streams of income on their own. As a fund manager, Fred manages a mortgage note investment fund and is concerned an industry veteran, considered an industry veteran in the note investing area. Fred teaches the concept of individuals investors' ability to step into the shoes of the lender through note investing, effectively become the bank. Fred is also the author of the Little Green Book on note investing and takes pride as being a trusted and valued resource in the area of alternative investments. I'm super stoked to have this man on the show because I've done a lot of deep diving into notes and Fred is one of the names that continues to come up in this space. So I'm just going to stop right there and say, Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? My favorite ice cream. I love this question. How is that difficult? It's coconut. This hands down. I love this answer. Because I feel like coconut is a very divisive flavor. Like people either love coconut or they hate coconut. So that you followed on the correct side of that equation makes me really happy. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, it's not easy to find it. And if someone went through the trouble to make it, it's usually done very well. Now, that's what I found. If you have the option to get shaved coconut on an ice cream, would you do it? Yes, Again, the correct answer. (laughs) Yeah. I would even put shaved coconut on top of coconut ice cream. Absolutely. Coconut. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? Well, I'll uh, share a little bit about me. I am passionate about node investing. I manage an investment fund. I raise capital. And I'm also, I love being an educator. I speak often and teach about about node investing, about investing in alternative investments of all types. I love being an author and involved in in some different projects ongoing. And that's what I do. But I love the idea of investing in assets, assets that generate income for you while you own them. We can get a little bit more into my background story. That's something that's always been at the forefront of what I do. And whether it's in notes or in real estate or other asset classes, it's always that that approach. It's really worked well for me. I love it. Well, tell our listeners, where'd your real estate journey begin? I had started out with a very long and successful career working as a computer engineer. I love that work. I loved it so much. I 
spent a lot of time working at technology startup companies during the dot-com boom. It was a fantastic time, so exciting. But what happened was I watched my industry just get turned upside down when the bursting of the dot-com bubble happened. And then we had the 9-11 terrorist attacks and all of the economic turmoil that happened around that time. And so what I realized was that I was taking on this huge risk because I was dependent on my paycheck from my job as my only source of income. And so I realized that was a massive risk that I was taking on. And so I decided that I wanted to get involved in investing so that I could have ways to generate other sources of income for me. And so with that, I turned right away to investing actively in uh, real estate. I loved it. It was great. It was something I was doing on the side while I was still working as an engineer. Had a lot of success with it. Eventually, what happened was I realized that I couldn't scale that because have a couple properties under your belt and that's going really well. But what happens when you get to 10 properties or 20 or 25, 50, right? Eventually you get to a point where you can't scale or at least you can't do it without losing your sanity in life. And so around that time, I started through my real estate education, I started getting exposed to node investing and I was hearing about it and reading about it in some of the books, mostly from the perspective of owner financing. At one point, I had the opportunity to actually buy notes, buy notes that were already set up, that had a good track record. And so when I saw that opportunity, I jumped on it right away. I said, Dad, this is going to be something good that I can really get involved with and leverage into something big. And so that's what I did. And I shifted into node investing. And I'll tell you, I was doing really well with it. And what was happening was I started getting invited to speak at different investor conferences and industry events in the note industry. People were coming up to me saying, hey, Fred, I love what you're doing. Love what you're doing in the note space. You really seem to have this figured out and dialed in. It looks like a wonderful investment. But I don't really have the time for that. It looks like it's complicated. It takes a lot of time. So maybe could I just invest some money with you? Could I give you money and you go out and buy some notes? And for the longest time, I didn't want to do that. I said, no, there's a lot of regulation around raising capital and you can't just informally accept money from investors. And so I said no, and I turned that down for several years. But eventually it's kept coming up over and over again. And so I decided, you know, maybe I can do something with this. I'll set up a note fund and do it the right way. The SEC work and the compliance filings and all of that. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. After about six months of working with CPAs and attorneys, securities attorneys and everything, we got everything done. We got all the filings done. And then I had my first note fund up and running, and then we were able to accept capital for investors. And that's gone really well. I find it so rewarding to do what I enjoy doing, as well as having an opportunity to teach and educate others through my books, 
through speaking, sometimes just working with our investors and having conversations where I have a chance to really explain some concepts, some ideas, share ideas, and take a deep dive. I really love that. It's all, for me, it's all about building relationships one person at a time, whether it's an investor, whether it's someone else in the node industry that we do business with. That is the key to success in this field. That's awesome. I want to highlight something you said at the beginning there where tying yourself to one source of income can be a risky move. And since you're in technology and I'm in technology, I'll call it the single point of failure syndrome. Yes. Where in technology, we're always looking at where could a point of failure be and building redundancy into that. And there should be no reason we don't look at our income the same way. And I was talking to an investor earlier who was working at a startup and their equity position in that startup pre-IPO was $5 million last year. Now it has been beaten down to 500K. Now, both of those are still great paydays. So I'm not discounting that. But the fact that you would tie yourself and your financial future on the equity of a startup company, and it looks like it's going to pan out in the end, and then all of a sudden you get a gut check in 2022 is a difficult thing to swallow, for sure. It is, for sure. But sometimes the opportunities come like that. We may be young and not have too many responsibilities, too many family responsibilities, and be more willing to take some risks on. So sometimes great things can happen. The main message really is seek ways to have a diversification and not having that single point of failure, as you mentioned earlier. That's so important. I mean, I love the idea of you make money from equity in a startup. That's what happens to you, right? So take a portion of that and put it into something else and start acquiring assets. The younger you are when you get started, the better off you're going to be in the long run. I want to take you back and talk about notes. So note might be a new term for some of our listeners out there. Can we just start at what is a note? What is a note and what is note investing? So a note refers to the promissory note. In the industry, when someone says, I'm buying a note, what they're typically referring to is actually you're buying the debt. It's secure debt by real estate. So that's going to include the note and the mortgage, which are two separate documents. The note is the promissory note, which contains the terms of repayment and the interest rate and how much each payment is and and so on. The mortgage, or if you're out on the Western part of the US, it's called a deed of trust. That goes together with the note. It's a separate document. That's the one that gets recorded in the public record at the county courthouse. And it's an encumbrance on the property. It creates a lien in favor of the lender telling the world at large that there is debt against that property. And if title is ever to be conveyed, then this lien has to be released by the lender. The note defines the terms of the loan of the debt, and then the mortgage or the deed of trust secures the property with that note. That creates a security instrument or the collateral for the lender. That's a little bit of the technical side of it. But in reality, when you buy a note, when you invest in a note, you're buying a note, and the space I work in is all residential properties. Think of your Fannie, Freddie residential, one to four units. We buy notes all over the country. 
all over the country that lends itself well to having some diversity geographically and the note portfolio. But when you buy a note, you are basically becoming the lender. You step into the shoes of the lender. You receive the monthly payments described in the note, and you have all the security as well. Everything gets transferred to the new owner. As an investor, you transition from being the one making the monthly payments each month to becoming the one receiving the monthly payments each month. And you don't own the property, so you don't have any of the management responsibilities, the liability. You're just like the lender is. You're in a secured position and you receive the payments. That's the basis of note investing. I'll tell you, Matt, a lot of people invest in different kinds of real estate, but they don't look at investing in the paper, in the financing side of the transaction, which most properties are purchased with financing. A lot of real estate investors, they don't pay any attention to it. I think it's a very interesting part of the real estate business. But most investors, when they think of a note and mortgage, they think of being the borrower and not being the lender. So this really allows you to, as I said, step across the aisle and and become the bank. And what I love is that being a lender and being involved in note investing, it's a great way to increase the predictability of your cash flow. And it's something that you can really scale into something big because it's not unheard of to own many, many notes. Some larger lenders, some larger note funds, they own hundreds of notes and thousands of notes. And with all of the different vendors and service providers that are out there, it's very easy to do that, to scale a portfolio and manage it. That was one thing that was very appealing to me was that ability to scale. Before we get into the scaling piece, I loved what you said around it's a secured payment stream and you have an asset that's collateralized by property, but you're not the technical owner of it. I never call the bank, for instance, and say, hey, my roof needs repaired. I need you guys out here next week. A lender is never going to get that call to come do the mundane or the tedious parts of having to fix properties. But some of our listeners, this might be a new process for them or a new area of investing. What kind of notes are you buying? So they might think that like only a Bank of America or JP Morgan writes mortgages. Where are you finding your notes or where are you buying them from? Where we buy them from, it's through relationships. Everything in the note industry is relationship-based. We can buy them from other investors, from other note funds. There are some larger hedge funds on Wall Street that actually, they'll buy pools of loans from banks and then cut them up and then resell them. This happens all the time. And so there's this whole secondary market that exists where notes are bought and sold every day. Here's something for all of you out there listening. I'm sure this has happened to just about every single one of you. You go out and buy a property or maybe you refinance a property and you sign your note and mortgage at closing and all of that. And then within one month or two or three months later, you get a letter in the mail saying, dear Mr. Borrower, please be aware that we have sold your loan to a new lender. Here's their address. Here's their contact information. And starting next month, please send your payment to them. And don't worry, the terms of your loan has not changed in any way. The payment is the same. The interest rate has not changed. 
So don't worry. Please make sure next month you send your payment to the new lender. And so this happens all the time. The borrower does not need to approve of it or anything. The lender has the right to sell their loan. And the reason this happens, an originator, the guys that originate loans, whether it's a bank or a small loan company, mortgage company, they need to recapitalize and then they turn around, get their money, they recapitalize and then turn around and originate a new loan for someone else. And they make their money through that velocity originating loans. So that sets off the secondary loan market. And then loans get sold multiple times over. And so we may buy notes and we can look at the chain of ownership and see that it's passed through two, three, or 10 lenders in the past. So it's very customary. Notes are bought and sold. It's through having these personal relationships. You establish the relationships, you meet other investors. We all buy and sell loans to each other all the time. Maybe someone needs to recapitalize because they're getting ready to buy a larger trade of notes. And so they'll sell off some notes and nothing wrong with the notes. They just need to recapitalize. It happens all the time with notes. It happens in real estate as well, frankly, with any asset. Someone needs capital and then they'll sell notes to raise that money. And let me tell you, notes are quite a liquid asset. It's very easy to sell notes quickly if you needed to raise money. If you offer a discount when you do that, it happens all the time. So that's a little bit about how notes are bought and how they're sold. If this is a business that you want to get serious about, then you have to start with meeting people, with connecting in the right groups and getting established in the industry as an investor. And then when you do that, then opportunities will open up for you. You mentioned it there that banks are making their money, or at least the bigger banks are making their money off the origination fees of the note. When you go sign a note and buy a property, you see that $1,000 origination fee. That's how banks are making their money. And then ultimately, they've underwritten the paper and they're just selling it off to a note investor. When I talk to different people about note investing, though, the common objection I get is, but Fred, in 2021, mortgage rates were 2.5% and inflation was 8%. Why would I invest in notes if they're 2.5%? Can you talk us through some of the strategies you implement to get a better return on your mortgage notes? Yeah, absolutely. That is all tied to the discount when you negotiate. Just like with real estate, you make money when you buy the real estate. With note investing, you negotiate a discount when you buy When you buy a note for less than the amount owed, the value of that payment stream increases. The rate of return increases. So that note that was at 2.5%, like you said, as an example, that may go up to 5 and 6%, depending on how much of a discount was extended there. The one thing is I buy notes that have been originated some time ago. The rates of today are not reflected in the notes we're buying because they were from some time ago. And the changing rate environment, that will definitely impact the pricing of notes as we move forward. I'm not out there buying notes that were originated last month. I'm buying notes that were originated, let's say, between 5 and 10, maybe more years ago. Whatever the interest rate was at the time it was originated, that's what it is. And that won't change. That won't change unless you buy an adjustable rate mortgage, which has its own nuances there. 
the notes with a lower interest rate impacts the pricing of it. I'm going to plug a book here by Jim Napier called Invest in Debt. And it is by far one of the best real estate books I've ever read. And not necessarily that Jim was the best author or anything like that. It just changed my mind on how I thought about buying deals. And what he does in that book is basically just gives you a formula. If this is the interest rate, it's 3% and you want to make 8% at the risk of doing public math here, then you need to buy that at an 80% discount because then that 80% discount, you're building in that return. And it is one of the best books by far in helping me understand this space, I would say. That's a fantastic book. That's one of the first books that I read about node investing. I had the opportunity to learn from Jimmy Napier, a real estate group. He was doing a weekend workshop on negotiation skills for buying real estate. He got off on this little side discussion talking about how he was involved in note investing. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And then I bought his book right at the conference. I bought it and took it home with me. And that book is such a great resource. It teaches you how to use a financial calculator, which is super important in note investing, as well as real estate investing. So you understand the finance. The premise of the financial calculator is this. You have four variables, the number of payments, the rate of return, the present value of the debt, and the interest rate or your rate of return. You have three of the four variables. You can solve for the fourth. And the financial calculator allows you to do that very quickly. So if you want to figure out a payment amount or an interest rate amount, whatever you're missing, you have three variables. You solve for the fourth. That's a wonderful book. It was really impactful. That's something I recommend to anyone interested to get involved in note investing is to check that out. And that's one of the things I love about notes is it's just math at the end of the day. If you want to just make 12% on a note, interest rate is 2%, then this is what you need to offer to get that 12% of return. So it's beautiful there. Another objection I commonly hear, though, is there's not a ton of tax advantages to owning notes like there is in real estate. So with real estate or physical property, you get some of the depreciation tax benefits, et cetera. With notes, you really don't get that. Are there any strategies that you use to help kind of offset that objection? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that objection. Note investing, it generates tax liability. Absolutely, hands down. You're going to get interest income. You're going to get capital gain. If you're doing well, you're going to have to write pretty substantial tax bill check each year. One of the best strategies that I love is pairing together note investing and doing it inside of a tax advantage account, like self-directed Roth IRA or an HSA or a self-directed account. Because what happens is if you're, for instance, doing deals in your Roth IRA and you can invest in individual notes and own them in your IRA, or you can invest in a note fund, which is a managed pool and have that owned in your IRA, all of that growth, you don't pay taxes on. If it's a traditional IRA, you you defer the taxes until you draw down the account. But if it's Roth, it's tax-free growth. I mean, that's the way to go. When investors talk to me, if they're interested in our fund and asking questions about it, one of the things I always like to bring up in the beginning is, are you planning on investing using a self-directed retirement account? And a lot of times people just say, oh, I don't know what that is. I didn't know you could do that. 
And so I said, well, let's stop everything we're talking about. And we got to focus on this for a little bit because it's very important for people to be aware because so many folks out there, they left the old 401k behind at a prior employer and didn't touch it when they left, or they have an old IRA sitting there that not really using well. And I say, hey, you know, when you left your last employer, didn't you clean out your desk? You took all your things home in the box, your pictures, your personal items, but you left your 401k there under the control of some administrator that's collecting fees every year on your account. Why do you do that? No, take your 401k with you and move it into an account that you can control. That's something I always stress. It's important to do that. Be proactive about managing your assets and your money. A great way to do that is through self-directed accounts. I just love that strategy. I think it goes really well with node investing. And then some of those other assets like owning rental real estate, yeah, that's great for owning outside of a tax advantage account so that you can benefit from the depreciation and all those tax benefits. So everything you do in your investing world, it has a place, a place where it's going to be best suited for that. And these are conversations that you should be having with with your CPAs, with your tax advisors, or maybe you attend some workshops by some of the highly skilled experts in this area and learn these strategies and techniques so many different ones out there. And you have to find the one that's best for you, for your personal situation. Because what may be best for Matt is not the same as what may be best for Fred. And there's no right or wrong answer. It just requires a personal analysis. I think you're looking through my camera right now at my notes that I'm jotting down because I wrote down that basically, if you have native tax advantages, first of all, I'm not a CPA, I'm just a guy on the internet, don't sue me. But if you have native tax advantages to owning an asset like a single family home or multifamily, don't also own it in a tax advantaged account because you can't get double the benefit. If you have a tax advantage account, that's where you can put in assets that don't really have a ton of tax advantages, such as owning an ETF, for instance. But as we've seen here in 2021 and 2022, what goes up sometimes comes down even harder. And notes are a phenomenal asset to own in a self-directed IRA because they're just steady, eddy, consistent, stable returns that have no tax real advantages to them. But if you own them in a tax advantage account, now all of a sudden you're getting that extra tailwind because they're in a tax advantage account there. Yeah, absolutely. And the tailwind can be quite significant, especially if you look over a... 20 or 30 year time horizon, the impact is substantial. Yeah. I was reading The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel the other day. And that's one of the things he talks about. The true path to wealth is having stable, repeatable investments, and then just extending that out for the longest period amount of time. If you can have a stable, repeatable investment that you can hold basically forever, that's the path to wealth, essentially. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I've been dying to ask somebody in the note space this question. In 2020, in March of 2020, I thought there was going to be a ton of distressed debt on the streets, and that would be the time to really go in and make some buying opportunities. As we saw with some of the foreclosure moratoriums and eviction moratoriums and things like that, we really haven't seen the distressed market really come alive. However, going now into 2022, the back end of 2022 and going into 2023, 
feels like there could be a big opportunity to go find some of this distressed debt and get it reperforming and things like that. How are you looking at the debt markets as a whole in the mortgage space right now? There's a couple of points I'll touch upon. One thing that happened in 2020 and in the beginning of the pandemic is a large amount of notes were put out for sale. The reason was that was there was a liquidity crunch that happened. Some of the larger investors, larger funds, maybe they had their lines of credit called due and they had to liquidate notes quickly. But we saw a large quantities of notes getting put out for sale in the secondary market it was a great opportunity to buy because sometimes it is difficult to find notes to buy depending on, especially in this hot real estate market that we've been having, there hasn't been a lot of notes for sale, whether they're performing notes or non-performing notes. Defaults, in the area of non-performing notes, defaults are fairly low right now. There's not a lot of them happening. And so if you think about it, if someone gets behind on their payments, they get into trouble, it's pretty easy for them to turn around and sell the property quickly and just get out from under the issue. The defaults is not super high rate right now. Another thing that we found in our portfolio is throughout the pandemic, yeah, there were some borrowers, had some hiccups, missed some payments here and there. But for the most part, people eventually got caught up. Some folks got maybe furloughed from work or they had a temporary work stoppage because of the shutdown. But then after some time, eventually they went back to work and got back on track again. That was some of the direct impact in our portfolio. Didn't have any issues that couldn't be worked through with some time and flexibility. Moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see what happens as the interest rates have been going up and that's impacting the housing market. It's a cyclical environment, right? It's a cyclical environment for real estate with the price of assets, the same as it is for notes and for debt. It come, goes up and down. There's market cycles. Definitely changes ahead and we'll see how that is. There's a lot of moving parts for sure. I'm not going to speculate too much about what will happen. It's the fundamentals of investing. Buy good assets, quality assets that have a good track record on them, and you'll do fine if that's what you focus on. And it doesn't matter whether it's a rental property or a note. Just focus on the fundamentals. Don't focus on huge upside, huge appreciation. Just steady. Steady, stable income is a great way to go. And that'll minimize the chances of you getting hurt or running into problems if there was downturn. I'd rather you just speculate and tell us where 2023 is going to be because we're on the internet. No one will remember if yeah. you're wrong. No, <laughs> yeah, I'm that's so true. I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I mean, we're looking at a number of different factors here. No one thought the Fed would come in and print trillions of dollars and just buy up all this distressed debt and basically guarantee it. So who knows what's going to happen? As long as you're buying good quality assets and that are stable and consistent over the long run, you'll be fine. Absolutely. Well, Fred, I want to take us now to our, our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? I love this question. Is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich? Here's why. I'm involved in a collaborative book project where we are breaking down and doing an analysis of 
the 13 principles that are outlined in the book, Think and Grow Rich. There's 13 principles that Napoleon Hill outlined. And so in this book project, we go through each of those principles. A whole volume is created. We're writing with about 30, 35 co-authors, writing for each person's interpretation and experiences on that chapter. And so it's causing me read each chapter again. So now I have all this experience behind me and I'm reanalyzing the chapter, internalizing it, seeing how has that influenced me. And so it's a wonderful project. The project is called The 13 Steps to Riches. So we're putting out every two months another volume for this. It's wonderful to learn from, from all of these different points of view. But for me, it's so rewarding to look within and think about what I've learned and the skills that I've developed and sharing that with everyone else. It feels like just to give back to the world and to pay it forward from some of the great minds that I've learned over the past two decades. Yeah, definitely a classic. And there's a reason why it gets nominated as one of the best financial books a lot. That book has impacted so many people. It was written in 1937, still to this day. The information in there is so relevant and timely. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things that you do every day. What are some of the habits that you have every day? So many habits. Obviously, I write every day. I journal and write, whether it's writing for my newsletter or writing for a book project I'm in or just journaling, writing articles. I really enjoy that. have so much satisfaction out of sharing my work with others. In addition to that, other habits, I plan my day every day. I'm really careful about being strategic with my time. I do that every morning. Another thing I do is really focus on health and wellness. I go work out at the gym almost every day. And you know what? I sit in the chair all day. I'm on the phone. I'm on the computer. I'm sitting in the chair. So at the end of the day, I get up, I go to the gym and train in a wonderful environment. It gets me moving. It gets my blood flowing. You get oxygen in the brain. It gives us energy. Because what we need as business owners and entrepreneurs, we need lots of energy to do what we do, right? Mental energy and stamina. And so it's wonderful. So I'm really focused on that's an investment that everyone must make is investing in your health and your wellness. Eat right, have good healthy habits and exercise, get moving. And I don't care whether you're a marathon runner or you're just getting up and going for a walk after lunch every day, do whatever fits in your lifestyle, but do it consistently. That's going to change your life. We might have to call this show the consistently stable, repeatable habits. Our third one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received is this. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time to plant a tree is right now. Yeah, I think about that a lot when people ask me all the time about the real estate market. Like, is it too high? What are your thoughts on that? And I'm like, it depends on when your time frame is, right? Like, is it high compared to 20 years ago? It might seem that way. Is it high compared to 30 years from now? I don't know. Probably not. So 
Love that piece of advice. Yeah, it's about having that long-term approach with what you do. Real estate is not a get-rich-quick thing. Neither is notes. Absolutely not. It's slow. It's slow. It's boring. But over time, you have the compounding, right? That's what really sets you up for financial momentum. Yep. Our fourth one is, what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? The thing I'm most proud of in my life is having people reach out to me, whether it's in person or after they've heard me speak or they read my work, they reach out and say, thank you. I learned some concepts, some ideas, some technique you talk about, and I put it into practice and I'm benefiting from that now. And I want to thank you. Just hearing that is the most rewarding feeling because it reminds me that I made a difference in someone's life. And so many people did that for me when I was getting started. I think it's so important to turn around and teach someone else that's just getting started so that they can benefit in their life. Yep. I love it. Well, our last one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I'm a Philly guy, right? I'm in Philadelphia. I always look up to one of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, who also spent a lot of his life here in Philadelphia. The one thing that taught about was that an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And so one of the best things you can do is invest in yourself. Never be afraid to invest in yourself. Spend money. If you do budgeting, like personal budget, set a line item in your personal budget for investing in yourself, your education. You can go do trainings, whether it's online or travel somewhere, attend a workshop, attend seminars. There's so many great ones out there that you can learn. The investment in yourself, your growth in in knowledge and skills, that's something that no one can ever take away from you, no matter what. And you'll carry that with you for your life and continue to benefits to have a return on your investment throughout your whole life. And so I love that. So I think Benjamin Franklin was a fascinating man, a fascinating mind, and so much to learn from him. Yeah, very Renaissance man from owning his own business to inventions to writing and everything about it. So love it. Yeah. Well, Fred, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you and learn more about you or get in touch, where's the best place we can point them? Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I love connecting with investors. And so the best way to do that is to visit my website, which is fredmoskowitz.com. If you would like an easier spelling, you can go to giftfromfred.com, connect with me there, and you can sign up to receive my newsletter if you like. Also, you can check out my book available on Amazon, The Little Green Book of Node Investing. And one more thing, if you prefer using your mobile device, you can text the keyword money to 215-461-4433 and then just follow the prompts. You can sign up there. But I love hearing from investors. I love networking, building relationships. And so I invite all of you to connect with me and I look forward to having a more in-depth discussion. Perfect. We'll put all those in the show notes. And then Fred, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Matt. This was a wonderful conversation. It was great speaking with you today. Thank you for having me on. 
Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.